Let's go through every single package installed with a Linux install image. I'm going through the software included with Slackware, but these are all open source applications and libraries, so whether you're running Slackware like me, or Fedora, Debian, BSD, or even Mac or Windows, you can probably download, install, and try these on your computer. So chances are, you'll be able to learn something from this podcast. Let's get started. Back in episode, I don't know, 344 or so, I was talking about Hexdump, and there have been other applications that I've talked about that, that do this sort of thing. They're, they're collectively known, or generically known, as hex editors. With a hex editor, you are able to open a file and look at the hexadecimal representation of its data. To many of us, this is not very useful because we don't have any reason to edit a file at the binary data level, but it is really, it can be very interesting. So why not open a file in Octeta? O-K-T-E-T-A. That's, that's the next application in this list of software in the KDE uh, software series of Slackware, Octeta. O-K-T-E-T-A. It's a hex editor. So you can, for instance, go to uh, Dolphin here. I'll just right-click, create new text file, and I'll call it hello.txt. Then I'm going to open that file. Actually, you know what? We could just open that file in Octeta. So I'm going to launch Octeta, and it comes up with an empty, or not an empty window, but a, a fairly empty window. Big, big empty panel on the left for me, and then some toolbar looking things over on the right. I'm going to drag and drop from Dolphin, hello.txt, right into Octeta. And uh, so now hello.txt is a tab in Octeta, and this is one of the features of Octeta, as with, with many GUI applications, but especially KDE um, a- applications, I think you can often sort of expect to have a tabbed interface, which, I mean, it's, it's nice, because that way you can have more than one thing open, you can compare them really quickly and easily by flipping t- between the tabs and so on. So 0000:00020a. that's what I've got in this empty text file. Now, hitting the backspace goes back to other, other, um, to other, um, uh, space columns, I guess, is what it would be called. Uh, and then I'm gonna do, let's say, 0a. Just type that in. And that renders a dot. Okay, well, what if I put uh, 0b? That looks like that's a dot as well. Okay, what about 0d as in delta? Still a dot. Okay, how about ee, capital ee? Okay, well, that rendered something a little bit different. It looks like it's a an i with a... Is that an i? I don't know. It looks sort of like an i with a little hat on, a little carrot. What if I did 25? That's a percent sign. I don't think that's actually a percent sign. Uh, 37 should be... Uh, maybe I'm getting my... No, it doesn't matter. Yeah. So 37 renders as 7 over in the right-hand column. Uh, 55, a capital U, and so on. We're making up hexadecimal codes that we don't know... That we don't know what they mean, but it's rendering plain text over in the, the rightmost column of this, of this uh, text window. So that's kind of fun, but right now we only have, like, I guess that must be two bytes or something to work with. So if you go to Edit, Insert, you can insert a sequence of data, a random, uh, some random data, or a pattern of data. So 
I'll go to edit insert pattern uh, in hex. I guess I'll just do how about uh, 13, the number or the, the representation one three number of these patterns. Let's do four of them. And sure enough, we have uh, at, at the point that my cursor was at 13, 13, 13, and 13. Of course, I didn't have to put that specifically into in, you know, it could have been any number. I was just, I just chose 13 because it, it seemed like a, an interesting number to insert. So, uh, edit insert, uh, random data is similar, except it just asks you how many bytes you would like to add to this file of, again, random data. You can hit return and it adds, or you can, you can tell it how much to add. Let's say, let's say four again. Insert, uh, it didn't do it. Okay. Did I? Oh, I know why. Okay. So, there's a, you're in a specific mode when you open up Octeta. You are either in overwrite mode or insert mode. And I had clicked on accident the overwrite or insert button, toggle button down at the bottom, in the bottom um, status bar. You can also change between modes in the edit menu. That's probably actually what I really hit. So uh, there's overwrite mode or insert Right now I'm in overwrite, so I'm going to hit, there's lots of different ways. There's a button in the status bar, there, you may have a key on your keyboard, INS, that's insert, so I could hit that, or just go to edit, insert, or what is it, edit, uh, overwrite mode, and toggle that off. Okay, now I can go back to edit, insert, random data, I'll say four, insert, and sure enough, now it, it adds some random data. And that random data is translated into plain text, again, over in the right-hand column. What does all that mean? Well, I don't know. I mean, this is th th this is a plain text file. So I am entering essentially ASCII codes, or maybe I don't know technically Unicode. I I don't know. I'm 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 entering data that gets translated to characters that it's that it is dumping into a text file. It doesn't have to be a hex editor. You can you can also look at this in decimal or octal or binary. That's a fun one. And all of those, the, the, that view selection is down at the bottom in the status bar near the INS or OVR button, which toggles the insert mode to overwrite mode. There's, there's one labeled probably by default hexadecimal. You can just change that and you get to see a different representation of the characters, or, or yeah, the, the, the data that is producing characters over there in the right-hand column. So if you want to see something else, you can open up, I don't know, I mean, I would advise against opening up something that's important to you, like copy, make a copy of something before. I mean, the, ch the changes that you do don't get saved unless you save them, but I'm just saying I would be careful, because this can screw stuff up. But if you, I just opened up a, a random JPEG, for instance, that I downloaded off the internet, and sure enough, it's, uh, I'm looking at it in hexadecimal, and it's got that translation of plain text over on the right, which you can read, and you can kind of see some cool things, like you can see the, sort of the magic cookie part of that file. It's JFIF, XIF2, um, creator is GD-JPEG, so that's probably, uh, what is it, graphic, no, that, that would be graphic, graphic magic. So, I, yeah, I don't know what GD JPEG is. I don't know what that is. Using IJG JPEG V90, quality equals 80. And, and, and then it devolves into complete nonsense, or at least what to my eyes looks like complete nonsense, because it's essentially binary data. This isn't information that I know. You know, I don't know what this stuff means, but a JPEG viewer knows exactly what that is, and that's that's how you get the picture. And of course, I mean, if if as long as you promise that this, th th this image 
is is not um, important to you. You can go into your text editor here, into the hex part, and start changing things randomly. 77. Let's change this 02 to, I don't know, 20. And then I'll save it. And then look at what I just did. Uh, doesn't look good. Um, it doesn't even load anymore. I changed it so much, apparently, that uh, it has lost sight of the fact that it is a JPEG. So nothing, nothing that, I, uh, you know, whatever I've just done to this image things uh, an application doesn't know how to interpret it well that's bad but you can go to edit undo and unlike a lot of other undos this has a a whole history of undo i mean a lot do i guess have that but but not everything uh and certainly this one shows you so if you go to undo and just kind of hover over that menu option it shows you each different step you've just done so i've just done uh, a replace and a replace so i'm gonna undo one replace and then save it and see if I can at least open it. Nope. Okay, then I'm going to do undo again, replace, save it, go back out to Dolphin. Ah, there we go. Now I see the thumbnail, and it's there. Okay, so I'm going to go further down, because I think further down I should be able to... Um, Actually, you know what, it might have just been... Well, I mean, obviously, at some point, you know, if you get too close to the top, you are messing around with sort of the header information, where you're telling applications what kind of data it needs to account for okay so i've just changed something else deeper in the file and the jpeg has as uh, largely lost its brightness it is a lot it is sh several shades darker now um except one little strip up at the top is like bright bright yellow um so i could go in and edit a different number let's try pumping this up to 99 oh it doesn't like that i don't think let's see what happens no, it's okay. It still opens. I can't really see a change. But yeah, you can mess around. Oh, I it shifted. It has shifted the left. Yep. It so what should be the right border is now about I would say a hundred pixels to the left. So it's almost wrapped the image on its uh, over back on itself. That's kind of interesting. So yeah, you can come up with all kinds of interesting and weird weird results here. But you can also break stuff really, really, really you know beyond recognition. So do be careful with it. Um, but yeah, that's Octeta. That is a hex editor. I, I I wish I had something more useful. I mean, I I have used hex edits for useful things before, uh, like re you know, like replacing replacing the 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 magic cookie part of a file or replacing you know making an edit within within a file that like a binary file that needs to be changed you don't really necessarily need a hex editor for all of those things i mean some of those things you can actually do just with said you can just tell it to search for a certain combination of characters and to replace those characters with something else now you're not doing that in hex probably you're just doing that in the representation of 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 this plain text although i guess it kind of depends on the file format too so anyway octeta it'll let you look at hex hexadecimal data and let you edit it to some degree. There are lots of different panels that you have access to over on the right. Things to help you, well, a terminal, pop-up terminal, that's always good. There's a thing to help you uh, f sort of figure out the, the decoding, the decoding uh, of, of, of the data that you're looking at. So for instance, um, if I go to FF, this should be f relatively obvious maybe, um, then in the decoding table it tells me that the binary 8-bit version of FF is 1111111 because it's all on, right? FF is the max. So 
in binary. That's that's all of them are on. There's the octal 8-bit representation. That one I didn't know off the top of my head. 377. Hexadecimal 8-bit FF. Signed 8-bit negative 1. That's interesting. Unsigned 8-bit 0XFF. And so on. So it, it kind of it shows you what that data looks like in other formats. Uh, here's the character 8-bit. It looks like a Y with like um, an umlaut, I think. Uh, two dots over it anyway. Uh, and and what kind of data is this? Well, or the byte order rather. What is this? Well, it's it's little Indian, uh, unsigned as hexadecimal. Yes, it is. So yeah, you can you can get all kinds of information out of this. Kind of start to see numbers and values in different formats, which I think is pretty confusing for a lot of us, really. I mean, it's it, it's bizarre to think that something so basic as I don't know an English letter has other forms, or even as basic as a number, right? I mean, the fact that FF, first of all, is a number is very confusing to people, and then the fact that FF can be represented as a bunch of ones in a row, like, that's even more confusing. So, yeah, I think, I think Octeta can be kind of an interesting way to get a different view of something that maybe you haven't really thought about all that much before. So, uh, whether or not it'll help you understand it or not, I think is another question. I think that that's up for debate. It's a big, I mean, it's a big thing to wrap your head around. So, I, I, I think it could just be something kind of interesting to look at. But I, I do kind of feel like if you spend enough time w with it, I, I do feel like eventually you kind of do start to understand things about it that, um, that you didn't you know, you start to pick up patterns and things like that. Okay, next up is Ocular, O-K-U-L-A-R. This is the default PDF reader of KDE, and, and I mean, honestly, it's my favorite PDF reader, and having ha having said that, um, it is the really sort of the only PDF reader, well, is it though? I mean, I mean, there's a PDF reader built into Firefox, so I have used that. There's a PDF reader, I guess, by default on an Android mobile, probably. Uh, no, I think that's just the Firefox reader, actually. Yeah, I'm not so sure about that one. Um, there is a PDF reader on GNOME desktop. Uh, what is it? Events, I think? So, I guess I have used sort of a variety of PDF readers. I, I haven't done an in-depth study of them, and I don't have any reason to. And in case you haven't heard me say it before, PDF is a horrible format. Like, really, really bad. I, I really, really sincerely wish we would all come up with an alternate format. I mean, we have. There is DJVU. That's not a fantastic format either, to be honest. Uh, I think probably realistically, HTML is the correct format, but in order for that to work, you 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 really have to bundle bundle it up as an EPUB, which can be trivial using the correct tools. It's not necessarily always trivial, depending on 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 what what you're trying to do. Um, I think that I think there could be an easier way yet for for HTML to be bundled into a uh, sort of a, a a package, an easy to look at package. I, I really do. I sincerely do. And and I may be missing something really obvious, but to me, I I would think that maybe HTML in essentially a comic book archive. So if you if you're not familiar with comic book archives, is it .cbz .cbr I think that's the I think those are the two. CBR is like a comic book RAR and CBZ is a comic book ZIP and it's just literally a series of images sequentially uh, numbered sequentially from 
first page to last page, lower to, to greater digits, numbers, whatever, um, and you zip them up, and you name the zip file dot, dot, dot .cbz instead of dot .zip. Really easy. You, you put that into a, an application that, that knows that format, and it knows exactly what to do. It knows, I'm not going to extract this zip file. Well, it is extracting it to memory, but not, it's not going to dump the contents out onto your hard drive. So it opens up that zip file and displays the images to you in the sequence that it has been given, th that it appears in the zip file. So 001, 002, 003, and so on. Now, if the application wants to implement some kind of, say, thumbnail view, then it can do that because it has access to everything in that zip file and it can draw the thumbnails on your screen. If, if it doesn't, then, then it doesn't. So th that concept is great, and I just kind of wish that there was that same thing for HTML. And I know, EPUB is practically that. EPUB is, it has, it, it is a zip file, that is all e EPUB is, with an uncompressed little bit at the beginning of the zip container. But there's a bunch of other sort of XML stuff that, that comes along with the EPUB format that I don't find realistically all that easy to, for people to just generate. I mean, I can generate it. I've done it before. I've done it live in a presentation at a tech conference before. It's something you can do. I don't find it as easy as zipping up a bunch of HTML files. Done. So I, I and, and furthermore, I, you know, like, I, I would love for, for there to be sort of more viewers of EPUBs. I mean, there are a couple. There's a plugin for Firefox that lets you see the EPUBs. There are dedicated applications. You can find them on FlatHub. They're all over the place. So they exist. I mean, heck, Ocular opens up an EPUB. So in a pinch, if you just, if you really just need to see the thing, then that's good. But I have found that the the style sheets being applied to these vary wildly and that's a little bit disturbing because part of the appeal of a PDF is that you when you create a PDF and send it to someone they know exactly what they're going to get you know exactly what they're going to get they're all going to you're, you, you everything is exactly laid out i mean that is the strength and the greatest weakness of PDF the layout is locked there is there's very little people can do to get around a PDF's um sort of formatting and that's that's the worst thing about it but it's also for a lot of people the best because that's exactly what they want so something a little bit i don't know between a comic book archive and a and a epub i think would be really really nice either that or just no that would be really nice actually there is no either of that i think that's that's what i really kind of want who knows I mean, it's not that hard you know maybe we could just invent that one could invent that one's self uh one would just need to take care of the viewer side of things where the viewer the the viewing application sort of knew what to expect anyway ocular what i was trying to say it's a great viewer and and that's that's the thing about ocular it isn't just a pdf viewer and that's kind of what one of the many things that makes it so great where to begin i guess it's fair to begin with the pdf part of of, of this application because i guess that is more or less what it is. So, okay, it's PDF uh, viewer. You can open up a PDF, and in the left column, you'll get either thumbnails of each page or a list of the uh, a table of contents. Now, the table of contents in a PDF is a file of metadata which you can extract uh, in a terminal. If you go to the location where the PDF is, okay, there we go, PDFTK. Um, PDFTK is the command. It's not a part of, uh, of Ocular. It is um, an extra package. I use actually PDFTK-Java, which you can find on GitLab.com out there somewhere, PDFTK-Java. PDFTK 
proper is okay as well, but there are some dependencies, and on some distributions, the dependencies don't uh, aren't aren't seeming to work. So I don't know. PDFDK Java is the is the latest greatest version of it, and it seems to be working really really well for me. So that's what I use. So PDFDK, and then the name of the PDF that you're that you that you want to extract the information from. So example PDF. Uh, yeah, example.pdf. And then I'm going to do a data underscore dump output bookmarks.txt. Now, if you open up bookmarks.txt after that, you see the, 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 what passes for a data structure in the world of Adobe. So info begin, info key, creator, info value, Adobe InDesign in this case, uh, 18.1 Windows. Okay, well, let's change that to PDFTK-Java. There. Modification date, uh, what is this? 2023-02-02, so that, that was the, that was actually probably the Oh yeah, it is the same as the creation date. So mod date and creation date are the same. That's fine. Producer, Adobe PDF Library 17.0. Well, let's change that to um, Linux. And then there's some hash values here, which you can change. It doesn't matter. It doesn't affect anything. I don't know what those are for. Number of pages, 10. And then bookmark begin. So there are actually more key val potential key values. And you can you can just insert you can insert them. Whether or not any, you know, any application knows to look for it is a completely a different story. So I'm going to put in info begin, info key colon author, info value colon clatu. There. All right. So then it says uh, down at the bottom here, number of pages, 10, bookmark begin, bookmark title. There's this title, so I'm just going to rename. Actually, I'm going to get rid of I'm going to get rid of that particular bookmark because that's the the front cover, and I hate I don't hate, but I dislike it when a PDF has a link back to its front cover. It just seems weird. Like, how often do I need to go to the front cover? All right, so the next one I'll just put um, chapter one, bookmark level one, bookmark page number two. Fair enough. And so on. So you, you and you can keep doing that throughout. I mean, it, it it just keeps going like that for as long as you want. And then at the very bottom, there's a bunch of page media stuff, which frankly you can get rid of. I don't know what it's for. I always delete it. It gets auto generated again. I've never really looked into what it is. So now I'm going to save that file. Now I can do another PDFTK command for the uh, to 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 get these bookmarks back into the PDF. So PDFTK, uh, my input file is this example.pdf, and then I'm going to do update underscore info bookmarks.txt output out.pdf. Uh, if I recall correctly, I could be wrong, I guess, but if I recall correctly, you can't overwrite the thing that you are you know, you can't just you can't just modify it. You have to um you have to save it to a new file and then rename that new file the old file name if if that's what you're doing. Okay, so now I've opened up the output or the out.pdf in Ocular. And if I go to file properties, then I can see all all of that metadata. So for instance, author is Clatu, creator, PDF. Well, it would have been PDFTK-Java if I had typed that correctly. PDTK.Java, close enough. Producer Linux, pages 10. That's about all it gives me. Yeah, that's what it gives me from, from that. That's actually a lot. Author, created, and producer. There are other keys you can do, but you, I mean, you could do arbitrary keys as well. If you're trying to conceal information in a PDF, that is definitely one way to do it. Just hide stuff in the, in the bookmark um, file. So, 
that's fun. But um, that's how you that's that's where those table of contents on the in the left column that's where that's being derived from. So in EPUB in the EPUB world, that's th- that that bookmark file is the equivalent of the XML stuff at the you know the the what is it talk.xml or something like that it's it's like a it's it's a file at the you know in an epub thing where it in cx something like that uh that 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 tells the epub readers you know what to sort of where everything is located and that's what this is okay so that's the bookmarks um or or, well it's called the bookmark it's called bookmarks in the pdf that is what the the pdf um creators call that bookmarks i don't i don't remember why but Everyone else calls it like a table of contents or contents. And that's why in Ocular there's a separate tag for bookmarks. Those aren't those aren't PDF bookmarks. Those are Ocular bookmarks. Those are the things that you think of as bookmarks. So if I want to go down to page 7 and add a bookmark in the bookmark menu, add bookmark. Now that bookmark for page 8 uh, appears in my bookmark column. Why is it 8 and not 7? Well, that's because one of those weird things about PDFs is that your viewer is counting pages while the PDF itself might be numbered completely differently. Um, and and that's a function of that that's one of the beautiful things of PDF is that it doesn't it has no awareness of what its contents are actually. So for instance, the PDF, like the book itself, feels like the cover image is a cover image, right? That's that's a page zero, sort of. But to your PDF viewer, of course, that's page one. Like, that's the first page of this PDF. Therefore, when you get to page one of your PDF, your viewer reports it as page two, unless it's told otherwise by, P- the, by the PDF. So if you're doing the PDF correctly you can actually adjust for that you can have pages that are numbered uh you know cover i i i i i i i v v v i and so on and then you can start with page one and two and three and and you can you can hard code that into the pdf and the viewer can see it and so on it's it's just a it's a bunch of sort of obscure stuff that that you'll probably never find out on your own um, okay, so there's there's other stuff in Ocular. There's text selection, so if your PDF actually has text in it, then you can select that text, you can copy the text, you can cause it theoretically to speak the text. Rating will tools make progress through this area hazardous. The My DCs goodness. must succeed on a DC-50 athletics check to roll a dinghy, or a DC-20 athletics check to swim across the chamber. Okay, so I told you, you can make it speak. I didn't think that was actually going to work. Um, and then there's um, other options, right? So that's that's text selection, there's uh, image selection, table selection, area selection, and so on. Or there's just the, a little hand, a browse hand. You, you can just dr- drag without selecting anything. And then there's also a highlighter, which I find pretty useful. So if you're reading something and you think, oh, that's an important sentence, then you can gla- grab the highlighter, select the part that you want to highlight, and it gets added to your annotation tab or, or column. And uh, it tells you who made the highlight, what user made the highlight, and that it's a highlight. And then if you click on that highlight, of course, it takes you to that highlight. So you can just kind of go through a PDF just through through the highlights that you've made and... And, and and look at what at what you thought was important. 
So that's really useful. And there's different kinds of highlights. You can insert text. You can just draw highlights. You can underline stuff. You can strike stuff out. Lots of different things. And that's saved as part of the metadata, assuming you save it again. It's saved as part of the metadata of that PDF. This is the kind of functionality that I guess a lot of people really, really like. And I can see why, honestly. I mean, you really can kind of see why people would like that. That's the kind of paper-like experience that that could be useful. Like, that's the kind of thing. Like, well, I don't like this word, so I'll strike it out so the author knows to um, get rid of that. And that becomes part of the file. But it becomes, like, metadata of the file, right? It hasn't actually changed the file. Like, there's there's a, there's kind of an, a, a sense that, in theory, we should be able, then, to get rid of these these strikeouts. And indeed, you can. You can go to the annotations column, delete the strikeout, and now it's gone. So I've marked up this PDF, and as the as the author makes changes or something, the, the author can can do away with them. And people people can use that. I mean, that's a really potentially a useful thing, especially as you, I imagine at the certain, a certain time in a document's life, that's not very useful because it's like, well, you, you strike out that paragraph and that's going to shift the whole layout of the document and, and change a bunch of other things. And so is that the best way to do it? Probably not. At that point, it's probably better for quote unquote normal computer users uh, to just trade back and forth like an office style document like a you know like from an office suite in other words like a an odt file because then they can i I guess make comments and do do the things in office files that people do but once you get really close and you're like okay i've got the layout down this is pretty much right give it one last look then then the the pdf model is potentially quite useful for to people and i think that's the kind of thing that uh, a lot of other formats don't have and people don't appreciate that they want they want the things that they're using and so it would be really cool if we had like epub readers that could do that sort of thing and then the ability obviously to record that data so that you know within the file so that other people could then open the epub and see all the comments or whatever so yeah there's stuff to live up to here as as horrible a format as this is uh, you kind of you, you kind of do see why people would um, be relying upon this. All right, so that's I think that's sort of everything about PDF sort of viewing and 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 marking up that I can think of. But Ocular goes farther, and and probably other PDF. I'm not saying this is unique to Ocular. I'm just saying Ocular has more. So for instance, you want to see your PDF in full screen mode? Great. Control Shift F. You want to see it? Would you like to? This is fairly common, actually. People create, you know, they'll do like a slide deck for their technical talk, and then they'll just export it as a PDF, because what does every computer on the planet and every mobile phone and every web browser what do they all read? HTML, uh, PDF. So they export it as PDF, and then they open it, and they go to presentation mode, Control-Shift-P for presentation, and they can step through it as if though it was a slide deck, but without all the sort of design element, or, you know, the, the active design elements that you would get in, like, a, in a, like, um, LibreOffice, um, what is it called? Present? Presentation? Um, I think there's a different term for it, actually. But anyway, whatever it is, like that, the slide deck thing. So, uh, you can fit width, fit 
pages, you can go into different view modes, so maybe you maybe you've got a screen that is longer than it is tall. You could you can present your PDF that you're reading in as facing pages so that you, you can see two a two up view just like you would were you to open a book. You know, you crack it open, now you can see two pages. That's the view you can have in Ocular if that's what you want. Or you could go to view, view mode, and um, do facing pages, allowing for the fact that that first page is probably the front cover and is probably blank on the other side. That's a handy one. So you get the front cover, and then you go down and you actually get the correct spread. So for instance, on a magazine that's been digitized, uh, or, or that distributes itself digitally, you might have sort of... Um, or any books, really, like any, you know, a book might have like a, something in the margin, in the left and the right margin, to sort of, you know, sort of the border of the page. And that gets thrown off if you're treating the cover as page one. So if you treat it as page zero, then then that's useful as well. Um, there's also just one that, that'll cram as much as it can onto your screen. It's called overview mode, and you can... Um, just as as much room as it can fit, it'll cram those pages on just so you can kind of, well, get an overview. Of course, um, using the control mouse wheel, you can zoom in and zoom out on each page. And you can do that on every, you know, in any view. An uh, overview is particularly help, help, helpful, I guess, because um, you can, you know, decide how big the thumbnails are, essentially. Anything else? Yeah, there's, I mean, there's probably other stuff. I mean, it's it's a really, really robust application, actually. Like, if you're dealing a lot with PDF, this is a way to 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 make it actually quite pleasant. Like this is just easily one of my favorite favorite PDF viewers. If I have to use one, this is the one that I would I would prefer to use. It's not to say I don't I haven't used others as I've said. There's the PDF viewer in Firefox, it works fine. There's the PDF viewer on GNOME. It works fine, but definitely Ocular. It's got a lot of cool features. It it's like all other KDE applications. You know, it's it's just got everything that you need, and half the time you don't even realize that it has it until the moment that you need it, and then you look for it, and sure enough, it's there. Is it missing stuff? Yeah, probably. Uh, certainly, it's not Adobe Acrobat Pro, right? Like, Adobe Acrobat. Pro is is the application that sort of like officially from Adobe that's the thing that creates PDFs. Now luckily Adobe was coerced long ago into making PDF a open format. But so anything can can create a PDF. Well, not anything, but you know, lots of things can create a PDF. But according to Adobe, Adobe Acrobat Pro is the the correct way to do it and so Adobe Acrobat Pro, you know, you send someone a PDF with that, and they're able to just, I think, just kind of treat it almost as if though it was an office suite. I mean, they can just make changes, all the changes that they want, and and a lot of people with Adobe Acrobat Pro do exactly that. They don't have any sort of issue with PDFs because they have the special pay-to-play version of of the PDF interface, and they get to, you know, remove images that, that annoy them, or remove backgrounds that, that don't print well, or whatever. Now, you can do that as well. There's a lot of tricks. GhostScript is a great little application for, for modifying things. There's all, all sorts of PDF modifiers out there, but Ocular is not, it doesn't claim to be that. It is a viewer, and to some degree, a a markup app or a um a, rev- a a viewer and a reviewer. You can review the text and strike out and highlight and so on, tag things, whatever. So it's it's very much sort of a 
a client software. But it's a great one, is the point. It really is. It's a nice software. But wait, believe it or not, there's more. So not only can you look at PDFs in Ocular, but you can look at, I think, well, definitely you can look at EPUBs. I know that without question. It'll just it'll just open up an EPUB uh, with without complaint. It just opens that for free. But what about what about some other alternatives to PDF formats? Um, if if you if you have any DJVU files, then believe it or not, it is completely happy to open those those files as well. So you can open that. You get a table of contents, assuming your DJVU file has a table of contents. But wait, 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 wait. There's more. So so believe it or not, you can make annotations on a DJVU file now. If you know anything about the DJVU format, and you may not, it's it's pretty obscure. Um, you'll know that it doesn't support annotations. There's no there's no annotation concept in a DJVU file. But so if I go to File, Save to try to save this file, it warns me I can't do that. You are about to save changes, but the current format does not support saving the following elements. Please use the Ocular document or archive format to preserve them. So yeah, you can create a document, a, a new, an Ocular document archive, so so that you get your metadata with your DJVU. Now, is that going to work in your other favorite DJVU? Um, uh, file viewer no it won't most likely um but if if you're if you're standardizing on ocular and why wouldn't you it's a great application then you're you're fine you you now have annotation available for formats that don't support annotation themselves that's just so cool i mean what what foresight what what grace i mean they just provided that for free if you know you get that with ocular nobody nope i mean Probably somebody had to ask for it, maybe not, but I mean, it's just there, you know? It's just so cool. So yeah, it, it is, um, it's a really cool little viewer for, obviously, not just PDFs. It is, it, it, it does great with lots of other, um, file formats. It's very, very useful. I highly recommend it. I, it's one of those things that I just almost can't even, can't imagine why, why you would use anything else. It's just that good. And, and like I say, I haven't used that many different ones, I guess. So theoretically, I, I, I suppose, you know, maybe I'm getting really excited about Ocular just because I've come to love it because I, I've used it a lot. But that doesn't mean there's not something else out there that's really, really great as well. But I mean, I, I guess what I can say definitively is that compared to events and compared to the built-in PDF viewer of Firefox, Ocular is amazing. It's got lots and lots of features. I love it. I use it all the time, not because I want to, really, but because a lot of the of the books that I buy online are delivered as PDFs, whether I like it or not. That's the format they're they're delivered as. So I do end up using Ocular a lot, and it's a good one. If you're going to look at PDFs, you could do worse. All right, that's the first half of the show, which means that it's time for another cup of coffee. Let's go get one, come back, finish up the show. Alright, I'm back. I've got my coffee and 
and a pastry, which I'll have to eat, I guess, after the show, because I can't very well eat and talk. But um, Saturdays in my little town are bakery days. The The bakery opens over the weekend, and so every Saturday I am able to run on down to the bakery, pick up some uh, fresh bread and maybe a pastry or two, come home. I don't actually run down there. I walk down there. I walk walk back. It's a nice little ritual, Saturday morning ritual. So I've got got pastry, I've got fresh coffee. I'm good for the rest of the show. So I guess it's time to talk about oxygen. Oxygen is the old breeze. Breeze, of course, is the current default theme of the KDE Plasma desktop, and Oxygen was the current, or was the the default desktop theme prior to Breeze. I'm trying to remember when Breeze came out. I think it was, I want to say it was like for like 4 dot, no, it was for 5, KDE 5, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was for 5. Um, so Breeze is like, you know, the, the new updated look and feel, but for people who really enjoyed the look and feel of KDE 4, there is Oxygen. Now, I have to admit, I really loved KDE 4's look and feel, and I, 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 I would I would not be shocked with myself if I if I returned to that at some point. I am running Breeze right now though because it just looks I don't know it looks modern you know it looks it looks current whereas Breeze does feel a little bit retro right now. You can switch it back and forth between themes by going to system settings, going to the, go, go to the appearance category, and right there in global theme that's the the top selection in in appearance. There's Breeze, there's Breeze Dark, that's what I'm using, Breeze Twilight, and I think, what is Breeze Twilight? Oh, it's got, okay, so Breeze Twilight is black um, sort of uh, uh, widgets for the desktop, but normal sort of like white and gray background for the windows, whereas Breeze Normal is just all the white and gray for everything. And then Breeze Dark is, as the name suggests, the black and dark gray for both windows and, and the desktop sort of widgets. Uh, Oxygen looks to me like they've only got, at least from this thumbnail, it looks like they've only got the the bright Oxygen, which I never used on KDE4. I always used the dark version of Oxygen as well. But anyway, that's the, 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 those are your style. Oh no, they have the dark one uh, uh, under, if you go to Plasma Style, you can switch over to Oxygen for the, the darker widgets. But I'm not going to do that. But um, Oxygen has, or yeah, Oxygen rather, has a couple of different packages uh, associated with it. There's oxygen itself, and then oxygen, I've lost my place, oxygen fonts, oxygen GTK2, and oxygen icons. They're pretty self-explanatory, but we could really quickly look at oxygen, for instance. Uh, oxygen itself has some libraries, some like .so libraries, some cursors, some cursor icons, and um translation files, and then if I keep going, there, 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 um, sound files, aug files, and those are the, uh, little chimes and chirps that you may or may not have activated on your desktop. I do not, but, um, but they are there. Oxygen fonts is the, the three files, Oxygen Sans, Bold, Oxygen Sans, and Oxygen Mono, Regular. So those are just, um, a nice sort of, um, you might call it gothic, I'm not sure, because I'm not very good at 
font descriptions, but I think it qualifies as sort of a gothic font. Big, you know, sort of open O's and sort of thin, thin letters. I'm using Oxygen right now, the font, uh, because I, I do, I do like it. But there are lots of great fonts, obviously, out there that you could use. So I don't know. It's just kind of, it's yet another font to try. Uh, it's a little bit like Open Sans, uh, superficially. Um, okay, so there's Oxygen fonts, and then of course there's Oxygen GTK2. This is a port of the widget set of KDE, Plasma Desktop, to uh, GTK+. So this doesn't seem to apply, I guess, to GTK3, GTK4, whatever else GTK is on now. But for older uh, GTK applications, you might find that when you load them into a Plasma desktop, and this was fairly common back, um, I guess before KDE 5, really. It, it used to be pretty common, people, especially on Slackware, because it didn't have this built in. They'd load, like, uh, you know, Firefox or GIMP or whatever, and it would look like it was um, an ancient 90s application, because there was just no discernible sort of widget style. It was just sort of block, block level sort of widgets, so everything was square and dark gray. And uh, there was a there was a, a package that you would have to install to do that to, to provide a cute GTK engine. Well, that doesn't seem to be necessary anymore. I haven't had to do that in ages, and I think part of that would be the Oxygen GTK two package, which again requ- uh, supplies uh, KDE style widgets, but in the GTK two format. And that's the interesting thing about all of this technology. I mean, it's you you'd think well the widget. That I'm programming surely must be the like it must be a widget, right? Well, no, it, it's it is. I mean, it's the definition. Here's a button. It takes up from this pixel to that pixel in a rectangle form. But if you want it to, you know, if if you leave it undefined or only defined as that much, then you can apply themes over it, and that's the that's a really powerful and much loved ability, in theory. I think that the theming, coming up with a theme actually I think is a lot harder than you might think, and and the, both both mentally and 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 code-wise, like it's not maybe quite as as easy. I mean, and it's it's complex because I mean, you can't just say arbitrarily give all buttons a little curve around the the corners because then what happens when um someone has created a, a row of buttons that's it looks very nice as rectangles, and so what you really want is curves just on the on the on the outer edges of the of the outermost buttons. How do you tell your theme to do that? Now that's a, that's a new rule. You know, if you've ever tried to style even just something simple as a website, you know how how that kind of styling rule set can can get really really complex pretty quickly. And I think people probably underestimate that. I know I did. I, I always used to think it was super easy to theme something and it would just fall apart in just the littlest of places but but you see that little place and then suddenly you think oh I've got to, I can't live with that I have to go fix it and it just turns into like a well months of of corrections I really admire people who who have the time and patience to do theme files uh, or themes desktop themes and I know there's a lot of inheritance that you can do too but I mean that again that's another level of complexity so oxygen gtk2 provides that theme or the, that look rather, the KDE look for a GTK uh, Plus or GTK2 um, application that has said, yes, this is a widget, but what style should I, I give it? And the answer is 
whatever style has been defined in the system settings, and in some cases that could be Oxygen GTK2. Makes it really easy. And then finally there's Oxygen icons, which at the time I feel were kind of exciting and progressive, because they all had sort of a gloss to them, and they all looked very realistic and so on. And things have moved on, things things look um, more like paper cutouts, I guess, is how I would describe icons these days. Don't they kind of look like paper cutouts in a way? Um, I don't know, material looking, you know, flat. Very nice. Um, nice and modern and who knows what'll be the next style but that's what we're that's where we are now and breeze looks looks you know current so anyway that's that's oxygen if you want to go back to the days of kde4 oxygen is the package to invoke okay next up and last up is palepoli palepoli palapeli I'm not sure how you say it, but it's a puzzle. I mean, n- not not how to say it. It the, the application itself is a puzzle is a puzzle game, and you can create your own puzzle, or you can use um, a puzzle provided by by the operating system. So you can create new puzzle by pointing it at a an image file, telling telling it what what you want to call that puzzle, and and who made the puzzle, or who took the photograph, and it will. Um, when you click on that image, it will create a a jigsaw for you. How fun is that? I don't actually really like jigsaw puzzles, so it's not all that fun for me. I mean, I'll get, I can get into a jigsaw puzzle if someone else is doing it, and, and it's you know, just something nice to do as you talk or whatever. But, yeah, generally I don't really love a jigsaw. But it is neat that you can create your own. Uh, unfortunately, there doesn't seem to be, at least not that I could find, all that much control over over how many pieces there are, which I would have thought would have absolutely been one of the settings, but I just can't find that setting anywhere. So you can, like I say, you can create your own puzzle by telling, you know, by, by pointing to an image on your drive. You can open up some of the existing puzzles, but um, but it doesn't tell, you can't, control how many how many pieces there are so um i don't know that's kind of interesting so as you the the cool thing though is that as you as you play as you as you assemble the puzzle i guess uh it it saves your progress so you can you can um you can do the the puzzle and I'm trying to find one that actually locks into place there's a cool little snapping action that happens when you find not cool, but you know it's helpful. It's a helpful snap uh, when you find pieces that interlock correctly. So that's kind of nice, um, and it saves your progress as you play. So you can play the you can you can you can assemble the jigsaw, and if you don't ah there it was. Um, and you you can control the snapping distance, like when pieces snap together, you can make it greater or or farther away from each other when they sort of like magnetize to each other. So um, anyway, I'll, I'll close that for now for a minute. Didn't tell me, you know, didn't warn me to save it or anything like that. That's because when I open it back up and go back to the puzzle, um, everything's still where, where I left it. So that's kind of cool. Uh, you know, I mean, definitely most jigsaw puzzles, I don't think there is an expectation necessarily that you're going to finish it in one sitting so it's quite nice that it's just an automatic thing like when when you are finished for for that session it's just automatic that it saves it which i think is is quite nice because it would be really annoying to accidentally quit it and not remember to start it or not not remember to save it before exiting or whatever so it's quite nice uh, feature that it's just that's your tabletop and it it, it remembers everything until uh, until you 
restart the game or, or whatever. Um, so yeah, that's that's Palepoli. I don't think there's anything more to it, actually. I'll, I'll do a more of of the package itself, just to make sure. Palepoli. Single-player jigsaw game. Unlike other games in that genre, you are not limited to aligning pieces on imaginary grids. Oh, okay. The pieces move uh, are freely movable, and um, it persists. Yeah, that's the thing that I liked about it. Uh, let's see. There's the Etsy KDE XDG Palepoli Collection RC, so that kind of controls uh, the, the puzzle... The, the puzzle images that, that are shown, uh, and then Palepoli itself, and that's pretty much everything that's installed, yeah, with this. I mean, there's some some JPEGs, some of the, the you know, the, the JPEGs for the puzzles, and then there's like an SVG or something for the background, uh, like the tabletop itself, as it were. It's fun. You should try it if you like jigsaw puzzles, which, again, I don't really like it, but it could still be fun. And I think that's about it for this episode. Thanks for listening. I'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. My name's Klaatu. You can reach me anytime over email with feedback or comments, tips, or just to say hi. My email address is klaatu at slackermedia.info. You can also reach me on the Mastodon network, not klaatu, at mastodon.xyz. The show's intro and outro music is by Fat Chance Lester. You can find their music on bandcamp.com or on gnuworldorder.info in the archive you'll find a music directory containing the album from which this music has been extracted until next time thanks for listening and keep the source open Radio, if you please.